truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Howdy, Earthlings. Greetings. Welcome to another edition of the Steve Dace Show, whether you like it or not. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-933-93 is the phone number here to The Blaze. You can also email the program. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, who we're, we're not entirely sure if they like us again or not. Now I'm getting conflicting reports. Uh, people are now telling me that uh, my stuff has stopped showing up in their feeds. Apparently my theory that uh, they, they thought they had to do a make good when they claimed last week I had unfollowed my own page. There, there may be some merit to that. We're, we're back to our shadow band status, according to the most recent reports. It was a fun three days, though. It, it was fun while it lasted. I think they gave us three extra likes, so that was kind of cool. Magnanimous, really. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. We got a jam-packed Tuesday for you. Josh Hammer, who is the executive editor over the Daily Wire, he's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. And we're going to let a guy who used to clerk for one of the actual real conservatives uh, on the U.S. Court of Appeals, uh, we're going to let him walk us through the process of, of what were to happen if, if Trump were to defy one of these uh, you know phony baloney universal injunctions from the federal bench. All right. So we're going to do that a little bit uh, later on at the bottom of this hour. Next hour, it's some fake news or not. We're going to put uh, you and uh, you, Aaron and Todd, in the jury uh, box, and you get to give the thumbs up and thumbs down on whether we're getting the truth here in uh, the what's left of America. And then some pop culture Tuesday. And I'm trying to see this unbiased, okay? Because the, the video clip we're going to play for you uh, is from one of my true man crushes. I love me some Pat Fitzgerald, the Northwestern football coach. And uh, he went off last week at Big Ten Football Media Days about the next generation in technology. And so I'm, we're, I'm wondering, is he onto something or is, are we in get-off-your-lawn territory? All right, so we're going to discuss that coming up uh, later on in the program. But uh, before we get to all of that, zany hijinks. First, we must find out from Aaron what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by the fakest fight in the history of fake fights. Last week, Democrats started blaming Mitch McConnell for election interference on the part of the Russians in the 2016 election. So naturally, MSNBC's Joe Scarborough came up with a new nickname, for the Senate Majority Leader. Morning. I want to hear about Moscow Mitch. <laughs> the warnings came, but Moscow Mitch, that being Mitch McConnell of Moscow, Kentucky, will eat Moscow Mitch blocks two bills that would actually protect us from a Russian invasion in this area. But I want to talk about Moscow Mitch. So naturally, yesterday, Benjamin Franklin said we have this republic if we can keep it. And among other, th- and among other things, Keeping our republic means we can't let modern-day McCarthyism win. So here's my commitment. No matter how much they lie, no matter how much they bully, I will not be intimidated. Modern-day McCarthyism. I will not be bullied. Uh, Meanwhile, another spending bill, a massive one, keeps making its way through Congress, which has Mitch McConnell's blessing. 
In other news, Al Sharpton is back in the spotlight after Trump tweeted, I have known Al for 25 years, went to fights with him and Don King, always got along well. He loved Trump. He would ask me for favors often. Al is a con man, a troublemaker, always looking for a score, just doing his thing. Must have intimidated Comcast, NBC, hates whites and cops. This comes after Sharpton rushed to Baltimore in order to race bait, I assume, after Trump's recent criticisms of the city. In honor of the Reverend being back in the spotlight, I present to you Adventures with Al Sharpton and the Teleprompter. Good evening, Rev. <clears throat> Thanks Good evening, to Rev. you, Ed. <laughs> Is this Groundhog Day 2? We are watching that was Attorney General Eric Holder, ADDs, about some Republicans at home are already beating the drums of war. Politics Nation with the Reverend Al Sharpton starts right now. Good evening, Rev. Good, good evening, Dr. Dyson. Moving on, a large group of protesters harassed Senator Ted Cruz at the Los Angeles International Airport the other day. Speaking of nice people, Elon Omar retweeted a statement from actor Tom Arnold essentially supporting a brutal attack on Senator Rand Paul by his neighbor a few years ago. Joshua Harris, author of the seminal book on Christian dating over the past quarter century, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, recently announced that he and his wife are splitting up. This weekend, he announced he's renouncing his faith altogether. And now, learning Spanish today. Today's phrase is, at least the heretics are being honest now. Al menos los herejes están siendo honestos ahora. The president of the United States Soccer Federation responded to the women's national team's equal pay lawsuit with the claim that the USSF has paid the women more over the past decade, even though the team has lost millions of dollars overall. USSF President Carlos Cordero says that from 2010 to 2018, U.S. soccer paid $34.1 million to women and $26.4 million to men. ACLU says, let's make this loud and clear. Transgender people have the right to participate in sports consistent with who they are. And finally, adventures in Monopoly. Oh my gosh. What's been, where's all your money gone, Donnie? Taxes. Six, nine, ten, eleven. Let me fix my houses. Bug, it's okay. It's part of the game. No, it's not. It it's is. So fun to... It's not fun to what? It's the worst part of the game. Of is what? Taxes. And that's what happened while we were away. Wow. <laughs> is that video prophetic? Aaron's montage brought to you by creditrepair.com. You know, a low credit score can keep you from getting the things you want most uh, in life. I mean, other than like, you know, family. Okay, we're, we're talking about is, you know, the, the, the stuff of American dreams, uh, you know, even a job. A lot of uh, employers are doing credit checks nowadays, certainly a house, a car. And then sometimes if you got low credit, you can still get approved, but they really sock it to you with much higher interest rates than people with better credit to get. You don't have to keep being denied or getting stuck with the higher interest rates anymore. Just call the specialists at creditrepair.com. They can help you work to repair your credit and improve your score by removing inaccurate negative items like late payments, charge-offs, even collections and bankruptcies. Here's the number for your free credit evaluation. 
1-800-501-3199. That's 1-800-501-3199. When you call, they'll give you a free credit report and score, and you'll find out what creditrepair.com can do to help you improve it. Again, the evaluation and your score are free, and then you decide if you want to go ahead and take them up on their offer to assist you. All right, 1-800-501-3199, available everywhere except Georgia, Mississippi, Ohio, and South Carolina. 1-800-501-3199, or go to the website, creditrepair.com. To the montage we go. Um, the, the story of the U.S. women's national team. Uh, it, it, that's not an insignificant amount, by the way. Uh, they, they were paid $8 million more if my you know, on-site uh, math in my head is correct. They were paid $8 million more this decade than the men's team was, despite the fact that they generated less revenue and uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation lost money overall on their games. In other words, the women are a subsidy. Are a subsidy. That's, that, that's what you learned. The women's soccer team is being subsidized. It's not a profitable venture, and yet they still made $8 million more than the men. Now, some of you are going to say, well, they win a lot more than the men, so they should have made more. Okay. Then, then, then Todd, why, why is this an issue? Do you, do you know why we're even talking about this? The, well, because people like Megan Rapino are the tip of the spear, and this is what you get. I mean, it's not as if her life isn't filled with lies already. This goes to what we talked about for an hour yesterday on cults. This is this is this is this is a cult. I, I, there there has to be some victimology somewhere. Um, you're you're you'll you'll you're going to permit me to marry someone of the same gender. You're going to make me a, a a national celebrity and. Um, uh, you're, you're going to make me a pitch woman. You're going to make me an international star. You're going to make me a millionaire. You're going to pay me more than the men who generate more revenue get. Yet I, I still have to maintain my identity as a victim. You know, we used to ask questions in the 80s and 90s like, when do we know we've won the battle for civil rights? Can you tell us when it... Can you tell us when... That's what we used to say to the race pimps, you know, like Al Sharpton back in those days. When, when, does, when is it over? When do you win? And the answer you'll learn is it's never over. Now, for the, for the likes of Al Sharpton, he's just, you know, a hustler. So, you know, there, there's always a new scam. There's always a new game to run. And, and that tweet on Al Sharpton, gold-plated, uh, put it in the Smithsonian. It's, it's the greatest tweet of Trump's presidency, in my view. It's, it's, it's just... It's everything. It's everything. It's muy bien. You know what? Here's more Spanish for the day. Um, muy bien. Uh, it's muy bien. And it's right on the money. So, so he's a hustler. Rapino views herself as a crusader. Regardless of whether you're a hustler or a crusader in, in this cult, the reality is victimology has to be the air you breathe. You're never contented. You're never satiated. You're never satisfied. There's always some grievance. Somebody on Twitter used the wrong pronoun. Something. 
You, you, there's there's no way of pleasing these people. I saw our our peer John Miller, who we had on our overtime yesterday, and um, and by the way, today's overtime uh, for those of you that subscribe to Blaze TV, we're going to preview the Democratic debates in light of how the numbers have shifted since the last debate. And uh, you, if you are a Blaze TV subscriber, those start tonight. There's a, it's a two day event in my old home state of Michigan. By the way, if you're a Blaze TV subscriber, you'll be able to uh, to download that to later and watch it later this afternoon. For the rest of you, if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, blazetv.com/dace to get uh, a reduced subscription. blazetv.com/dace, and you can watch not just that episode, but all of the exclusive content here at Blaze TV. But John Miller was uh, tweeting this morning, our White House correspondent here at Blaze TV, that he put up a video about um, the wax my balls bigot guy. And he went out of his way painstakingly to use the right pronouns and everything else to abide by all the rules. He put up this video on his Instagram account to abide by all of the rules. um, And and then he was critical of this guy's barbaric behavior that you had a video of in the montage yesterday, Aaron. And, and yet, uh, it was still taken down and marked as hate speech by Instagram. And, and it's because John didn't obey the only rule that actually matters. There, there really is only one rule. There, you, you, there is no accommodating the pagan zealotry of this cult. There, there is no meeting them halfway. You can't even meet them 97% of the way. You either become them or you are the enemy. That is the only rule. You join the identity cult, or you are the enemy. There is no, there is no accommodation. There's no compromise. There's no coexistence. Join or die. That there's not even a jizya. At least the Muslims offered you that. Okay. No, they said to the nuns, "We're going to tax you, and you're going to get slutty." Uh, on, on behalf of Obamacare. <laughs> they said to Hobby Lobby, you, uh, uh, no, we're going to tax you and uh, and you're going to go against your values on behalf of Obamacare. So there's not even a jizya. At least the Islamists offered you that. You know, when they, when they busted up, when they put the simtars to your necks and, and eras past or the suicide bombers in your towns, you at least got to pay a jizya to be pretend free. To be a pretend, yeah. you have to pay a toll to be a conscientious object, objector. Pay up or die, not pay yeah. up and yes. die. No, yeah. Yes, the leftists, the pagans won't even, the leftist pagans won't even offer you that. You will pay up, as Todd said, you will pay up and die. You can't they even will, be a porn star. That, that's right. If you're a way. porn star named August Ames, and you are the fulfillment of every lie of the sexual revolution, a beautiful young woman that is literally just selling her soul piece by piece, uh, to perform uh, on camera sex with strange men. And then you decide you're going to draw a line with, you don't want to perform with men who perform in gay porn too, because you're concerned that the, the STD testing uh, for the, in, the, in the gay porn community isn't as stringent as it is in the straight porn community. And so you announce you're going to draw that line. And then you get bullied by these people, by the, by the people hooting and hollering for Megan Rapino every day on social media. They bullied this poor August Ames woman all the, on social media so bad they drove her to suicide. You, you cannot, there's not a halfway, a most of the way. You will go all the way. Or you will be told, no way. 
And that's another lesson that John learned yesterday. There's, there's no point trying to accommodate this on any level. No point trying to say, okay, I'll abide by your rules. It's your format. And then, you know, I get to say what I want to say. No, no, and no. There's just one rule. Take the mark. That's the only rule. You'll take the mark. Join us or die. That's the, that is the only rule. If Donald Trump was a Democrat elected president and said all these same things about all these same people, would he be getting called a racist every night on CNN and MSNBC, guys? Do you really believe that? Nope. No. No. Donald Trump's only sin is claiming the mantle of Republican. Now, some of you are going to claim he's pretending to own that mantle. That's a separate conversation and another episode. All right? But... That it doesn't matter whether he is pretending. None of it. None of it matters. He's wearing the wrong jersey. That's his only real crime. He's wearing the wrong jersey. And that's the same for the rest of you. The reality is that um, John could have done the video backwards if he would have started with how great he thinks the wax the balls bigot guy is, and he wants to be like the wax the balls bigot guy himself. And then, like, committed some misgendering faux pas, the video would still be up on Instagram. See, they've got their commandments, too. Okay? And they have the same first commandment that we have. Thou will have no other gods before me. It's the same commandment, guys. Same one. It's all the same rules. We're just in the upside down, all right? You know, there's a figure in history that's been known to distort and bastardize things God has revealed for his own devices. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's kind of escaping me now. So we'll just move on and let's talk about another topic. Um, the, the thing with McConnell and Joe Scarborough Binary choice, Joe Scarborough or Mitch McConnell, who you got? Death. I was going to make that choice, yes. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go with, I'm just going to um, walk down the streets of downtown Yemen somewhere screaming, uh, you know, Jesus is the way. I'll take my chances. At least that'll go quicker. The excruciating death by a thousand, and these aren't even paper cuts. These are like, the nerds in school flicking their spit wads at each other, okay? All right? I mean, these are the kids that everybody beat up. And, and, and that was a slap fight right there. Yes. That's what that was. If, if there's any other, if, if you're like, what does it look like when a nation is under judgment? What, I mean, what, what, how do you know when you're the proxies for your ex, what's supposed to be existential combat? Are Joe Scarborough, who did far more to get Donald Trump the presidency than Mitch McConnell ever did. It's true. (laughs) And it's not even close, guys. It's not even close. But when your proxies are Joe Joe Scarborough versus Mitch McConnell. Not exactly the gladiator games of old. Not, no. No. This This isn't exactly the Valley of Elah here. In fact, like, 
David and Goliath is happening. What Scarborough McConnell represents is David and Goliath are going down in the, imagine that was going down in the valley. But then like um, uh, 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 Winifred and uh, Byron were mixing it up on, on some ridge uh, with your mama jokes. And like the Israelites were like, were totally distracted by David Goliath happening down in the valley. Like, wow, man, did you just hear what Byron said about Winifred's mom? And just totally turned around and they were like fixated on this pillow fight instead. And they like creating their own memes in the dirt. All right. Moscow Mitch versus cocaine Mitch, right? Okay. That's, that's what this is. That That's, there's... Is 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 there something that's like less than nothing on on the Richter scale of of fights? There's like you, negative energy yes. energy. Yeah, you just you just witnessed it. Yeah. In fact, I I'm, I want you to know I will not be bullied. I will not be intimidated. And the main reason why is because I don't give a piece of your feces about anything other than myself. And when you're when you're completely and totally self-centered like I am, you really can't be bullied or intimidated because I have the power to do what I want with it and you don't. I mean Mitch, Mitch McConnell is your hero. Joe Scarborough is the villain. They're they're on the same they're on the same team. Guys, they're This is this is this is like uh, this is this isn't the Valley of Elah. This is bring it on. They're fighting for a spot on the same cheer squad, folks. Okay? They're fighting for swamp first chair in the school band. <laughs> Just, this, you know, when Star Lord suggested a dance off to save the universe, more testosterone is, was yeah. exerted in his dance off with Ronan uh, than the accuser, uh, than than in in all uh, of of Scarborough versus McConnell. And here's what that also tells you too: the swamp is really bored. The swamp's really bored, man. They. Thomas Massey's right. They kicked the can down the road on the budget deal. Impeachment's not going anywhere. So Democrats don't want to give their base the impeachment fight they want. Republicans don't want to give you the, 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 the budget fight that you want. It's July 30th. You know, there's, there's still four and a half months in 2019 to go before they have permission to go full bore 2020 campaign, fake fight pro wrestling the entire time. So what are they going to do? They, I, think, I think they were all counting on impeachment really getting them there. Through the, I, impeachment providing the storyline for 2019. And this just tells you right now that the writers yeah. are, I mean, this is the, they went to the Brian Bonsell card. Now, Aaron, you won't remember this reference, okay? But Brian Bonsell, do you remember Brian Bonsell? We're doing Family Ties, yes, right? Yes, yes. Of course I know. Brian Bonsell was, when, when Family Ties decided, maybe we can milk one more year out of this thing. And I loved that show as a kid, all right? I was an Alex B. Keaton wannabe. When Family Ties decided that maybe we can milk one more season out of this, you know, uh, they did the whole, we broke Alex B. Keaton's heart the previous season with Courtney Cox, you know? Um, 
And so they, they do the, they did the leap ahead where the, the youngest baby that they had 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 a couple of seasons before shows up now. And he's like 10 years old with an actor named Brian Bonsell, right? This is, this is the writers really thought that the impeachment thing was going to carry the day. And then, you know, you get out on the set and you start filming and you find out you hire this Bob Moeller guy for the lead role here. And you realize that as the dailies were coming in, the casting yeah, wasn't what you thought. Yeah, this it was this guy be. can't can't carry the role, you know. And you, it, it's too late to recast at this point. So now you got to come up with some kind of subplot to finish out the season, and they're just grasping at straws right now. And and so they're going to try Joe Scarborough versus Mitch McConnell. That's going to go nowhere because everybody hates both of them equally. All right, and so you you won't generate any clicks off of that. Because you, to get clicks, you've got to do, the, you need a foil that one side hates and the other side likes. When both sides hate both of these people, there are no clicks to be derived. And so this storyline won't last very long, right? Uh, this would be like, a, this is going to be like a guest spot on the love boat. This is going to be one and done episode. Now, but, but who knows what they'll try next, Todd? But this tells you that the writers right now are scrambling because they thought they were going to get uh, who shot Jr. with with a with a Mueller impeachment probe? And it's just it's clearly not it's not materializing I know for them. Exactly what this the writers tried to do here. You didn't watch it, but Aaron, you watch Breaking Bad, right? Oh yeah. You, there's one episode that's very notable because of almost every single episode drove the narrative forward for oh, how many yeah. years? I know where but there's one. This. There's the fly episode, yep. and it, they just decided, and it's very clever. It's a stand. I didn't think it was great, but. For one episode, they didn't drive the narrative at all. They were just, they're making their meth. And there's a f one fly that's, they're worried about getting in the ointment, ruining everything. So the whole episode is just about them trying to find it, to kill it. Mm -hmm. And then it, that episode's done and it goes on. This is like every episode about them trying to kill the fly. Nothing gets driven forward. It's utterly useless. It's not fun because it's not a one-off. That's what I was thinking about. I, I could foresee, that's a good analogy, having never seen the show, I, I, but the idea of just going with an episode where you're just... Screwing around. Yeah. Hands, yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if the next step here now, could we get the, the, the retroactive episode? You know, where cast members in character, you know, in various set pieces, look back fondly on things that have already occurred to get him to this point in the season as they just attempt to kill off another week here with a lack of some like best ofs. Yeah. I mean, every lots of shows have done that. You Raise know? the drinking age to 24. They tried that episode before uh, with the smoking thing and that, right. that didn't play either. But I, I think they're struggling right now to come up with some content. I thought, I think both sides, you know, click servatives had their, you know, uh, if, if you weren't willing to, you know, lay down, no matter what, what evidence they ever came up with, if you weren't willing to cut yourself to save the Trump presidency, you weren't really a conservative, right? I mean, the click conservative media had that, had that line ready to go. And then you had, you know, uh, uh, Trump is uh, the Manchurian, well, the Moscowian candidate. Now that narrative was all ready to go. And both sides were, both sides were already like measuring drapes, house hunting you know in the next uh, uh in the next tier of of income brackets and i did see them toying with an episode just earlier this week that people are mad at melania because she's already starting to plan christmas too early so there's that they're scrambling right now 
That, and and I think it just goes to show it's like it's like when you turned on Dallas for for one season and like Donna Reed was Miss Ellie, and you're like, I think that's a casting misfire. Yeah, I mean, apparently they had a a, a a contract dispute with the gal that had played her since the show started, and she left the show, and 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 now you know America's favorite sweetheart is supposed to be believable as the head of this you know, uh, utilitarian power family clan. It just, it didn't resonate with people. And I, it, it, that's kind of what's going on right now. So who, who would you like to be seeing more of? What, who's being underserved? What, who deserves their chance for stardom right now? I think, um, I think yesterday you had, we had the correct idea of what would be a compelling storyline. And if you want to take this thing to another level, now the problem is though, it risks potentially putting Trump in a good light. But but to me, the most compelling storyline is the fish out of water. You send Thor to Midgard in the opening movie. Oh, are we back in Baltimore? Yeah, you 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 send Trump to Baltimore, and and Seattle and New York and Houston, and you send him to these urban hellholes. And, and just roll tape and see what happens. That, to me, is your compelling storyline. The fish out of water thing. You, know, you, you, you put people in an element that you don't know necessarily what's going to happen. With like a semi behind him, he just walks through neighborhoods and he hands out Trump steaks and stuff like that. And, and he's in full MAGA hat. And can you only imagine what might happen I in want, that environment? I want to. I would like to. I can, as Han Solo once said, I can imagine a lot. <laughs> right. To me, I think that's your compelling storyline. You know, but there's a risk there in that it's not so much casting Trump in a good light. It's ca- it, it could potentially cast Trump in a different light. You need him to remain in character, right? And if he crosses over and, and gets out of character, that could ruin the entire script. Josh Hammer is going to join us from The Daily Wire here next. Real Estate Agents I Trust is a company Glenn Beck and some of his associates started a few years ago because there's just so much frustration with real estate agents who talk a good game but then don't deliver the desired results when needed the most. And they experienced as well the same exact thing uh, and learned that lesson the hard way. Uh, learn that when you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust, you're looking for somebody who has a proven track record of success, somebody who's got a marketing plan beyond, uh, here's what the algorithms tell me, or let's do another open house. And then somebody who you have a rapport with. I mean, this is a very relational process between you and your agent. And so if calls aren't returned in a courteous manner, um, you know, they show up at your door with somebody, a buyer who wants to go through your home and then didn't go out of their way to reach you 30 to 60 minutes ahead of time to give you a heads up. Those sorts of things can happen when you don't have a real estate agent that you can trust. So stop using referral services that are really about finding clients for agents and start going to the place that finds an agent worthy of having you for a client. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. 
realestateagentsitrust.com. That's the website to find a real estate agent that you can trust. Josh Hammer is the editor at large over at The Daily Wire. He's also a former clerk on the U.S. Court of Appeals. It's good to have you with us again, Josh. Welcome back to Blaze TV, man. How are you? Great to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me. So, Josh, I, I was hoping that you could walk our audience through the process of what were to happen if the president defied one of these universal injunctions or edicts um, that says he really can't do things uh, that uh, presidents are supposed to be able to do because your name's Donald Trump and Orange Man bad, all right? Or, or you said something about one Mexican judge of May in 2016. So despite the fact, um, you know, 63 million people voted for you, you just can't execute the powers of the office because we were offended by that tawdry remark. And by the way, I'm not exaggerating with some of these judicial um, reasonings are for some of these rulings. They're literally putting this stuff in their rulings, aren't they, Josh? Yeah, no, they really are. I mean, this kind of hit the uh, apotheosis during the so-called travel ban litigation, Steve. I mean, the lower courts, I think it was the Fourth District, if I were, or the Fourth Circuit, excuse me, if I recall, they were citing Trump's campaign era tweets as if that were somehow probative as to the legal reasoning of the underlying case. I mean, you're not exaggerating at all. What happened in the in the First Amendment Twitter ban case up in the Second uh, Second Circuit up in New York. This is not the kind of stuff, Steve, that you learn in law school, to put it mildly. At least the law school I attended, University of Chicago, they still try to teach you something closely approximating the law. Um, <laughs> but that is not what judges across the country seem to be doing. So to get to the heart of your question, what would actually happen if Trump did what I and some others have been openly calling for him to do for a while now, which is openly defy and refuse to enforce one of these nationwide injunctions? Here's what here's the link here's the Lincoln formulation. Okay, Lincoln put this best. What Lincoln did to the Dred Scott case is in his in his first and not in his debates with Stephen Douglas in 1858, a year after the Dred Scott case, then culminating in his first inaugural address where he really articulated most prominently. He said that he will enforce the judgment as it as it pertains to the party to the suit, the named litigant. But it will not be recognized as a broader principle to be applied beyond that. So what that means is that the Department of Justice, U.S. Marshals, all the various uh, enforcement operations of Article Two, the executive branch, in an immigration context, that means DHS, CBP, ICE, Border Patrol, whatever agencies are relevant to enforcing the underlying action, will go full throttle ahead. That's literally what it means at the end of the day, is that you will just enforce this and ignore the purported nationwide applicability of this ruling as it pertains to any party other than the named party in the suit. That's literally what it means. And you, you basically dare the judges to stop them, which they can't possibly do. So why hasn't a president done this before? Why hasn't this president done this? What's the, what's the, let's not, let's forget polit the politics of it a second. We'll come back to that in a minute. Legally, in terms of legal theory, what's he being told from the likes of Bill Barr, who, uh, you know, I'm told is the reason that he caved on defying the courts on the, the, the question in the census, uh, that Bill Barr would not sign on to that 
and that he needed to keep Bill Barr in line uh, because he's been a huge asset to his presidency, particularly bringing the Mueller uh, uh, investigation to a head into a close and guiding the, the, the Justice Department through uh, whatever that era under Rod Rosenstein was and post Jeff Sessions and everything else. And so we just decided that, that that's why they were leaking to people like us the day before that giving us the signal that they were going to defy this. And then he had that Rose garden thing right after he had all the social media people there where after leading us on under off the record, they then came out and said, yeah, we would actually never define the courts no matter what they say or ever do. So for if, if, if what I was told by a pretty good source as to why Trump did that 180 because he couldn't get bill Barr on board, what, what's the legal theory, the operating legal theory Bill Barr is operating under? And if I, were to, if I could get him on the show, Josh, and I could ask him, if a federal judge declared that Trump's private assets, including Trump Tower, had to be redistributed to S-hole countries, would we just, in, and that was, a, that was now a, a national uni, universal injunction, would you enforce that? What, what could they possibly decree from a federal bench? that you would tell and urge the president not to enforce as the chief executive officer of the United States government? What would he say? Yeah, you know, I think back to the way our friend Daniel Horowitz framed it, maybe like a year and a half, two years ago. He basically said, if a district court commanded that President Donald Trump deliver a nationwide address from the Oval Office, butt naked, not wearing a single article of clothing, what would he do? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, like, where is the, what is the limiting principle, right? I mean, there has to be something that the president would be willing to not abide by. So I, I, I do think that most of what's going on here, especially in the Bill Barr census citizenship uh, dispute, probably is politics, but you, you said whole politics aside. So the legal theory of my best guess as what's going on here is that we're really facing a, a new paradigm in, in the Trump era. If I, recall, if I recall, there's been 30 to 35, maybe even as high as like 37 or 38 so-called nationwide injunctions that have been issued against the Trump administration in these first two and a half years. The Obama administration faced fewer than 10, and it might even be fewer than five. Wow. Um, uh, the very first so-called nationwide injunction came out of the D.C. Circuit back in the 1960s. This whole phenomenon is relatively recent. Uh, judge Andrew Hannon, Southern District of Texas, conservative judge, um, and Reed O'Connor, also a Texas, they kind of made headlines for some immigration-related nationwide injunctions during the Obama administration. But this has orders of magnitude gotten worse. So I think the Trump DOJ, there's literally no precedent. They're kind of operating on tabula rasa on a clean slate here. There's no legal precedent for how an administration that is this besieged ought to respond to this lawless of a judiciary. And I think that a lot of these people are just thinking back maybe to law school and the way that legal practice has been for the past 60 years, at least ever since Cooper v. Aaron, the kind of obscure little known 1958 case that essentially established what nowadays we call judicial supremacy, which is that the what the courts say is final. This is what they think. They think that the courts have the final bite at the apple. They determine their own jurisdiction. They determine their own jurisdiction. That's mm -hmm. right. Notwithstanding the fact that the Article 3, Section 2 Exceptions Clause grants clearly on a pure textual level, grants Congress plenary power to strip jurisdiction however they may like of the lower courts. But the Supreme Court has, has, has said that they can determine their own jurisdiction and who are the political branches to question that apparently. So I think that they're just thinking back to this post-Cooper v. Aaron mindset. Um, and, he, and here's the problem, Steve. There are so few of us who are voicing this. When I write a, an opinion, opinion column or a series of tweets or whatever it is calling on the president to defy a nationwide injunction, 
I get called out. Do you know what I get called out by worse than the left, actually, when I do that? I get called out by the phony faux yep. right. Yeah. I, I get I get called out, called out all the time by the libertarians, by by everyone who subscribes to a strong Article Three judicial branch. So our side is is fractured. We are not unified. Um, but I, I, I think not politics from a legal perspective. What Attorney General Barr is fundamentally getting at is he's agreeing with Stephen Douglas and disagreeing with Abraham Lincoln over the scope of the binding authority of the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's very sad. Josh Hammer from uh, The Daily Wire is our guest here on Blaze uh, TV, radio, and podcast. So I don't know if you know this or not, Josh. Ten years ago, um, I was one of the people that helped lead a movement here in the state of Iowa to throw out three state Supreme Court justices. And it was actually the success of that effort and the role my show in Iowa played in that effort, which I still believe is the only time that's ever happened in American history, that judges were tossed not for... um, uh, you know, violating a moral clause or some kind of malfeasance in terms of their behavior, but the the actual overreach uh, of their ideology in their constitutional authority. The state of Iowa constitution specifically forbids courts from making law. Uh, it, it specifically says in wording that only the legislature can make and write the laws of Iowa. And it was the success of that, actually, that had some some Christian businessmen come to me after that election and offer to put the resources around me to take me beyond Iowa to see if we could have similar conversations with larger audiences that were successful. And one of the things that I, I learned as I went through that process, and my buddy Bob Vanderplatz led the organization that uh, put boots on the ground uh, with that process. And, you know, we would talk to historians on the, on the right. Can, is this something we can even do? Um, defy courts on this level? Or is there any precedent? In the Lincoln example that you talked about, uh, we researched the heck out of that. All right. And 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 so we wanted because we knew we were going to have to do debates with former. We would you know go on TV against former state Supreme Court justices. Um, we because we figured they must have some secret hidden knowledge we didn't understand that they, they there must be an answer to the question of what could the courts decree that you would say no to. They there there must be a, a recipe that these learned lawmen on the left have that we just didn't understand, and we learned two things in this process. Number one, they they don't have any hidden knowledge. They don't have any secret knowledge. They they know more Latin than the average you know um, knowledgeable American does. But really, it's just slavish obedience to a system that has allowed them to get things that they would never get from the voters, and that's what they're trying to protect. And then the second thing we learned was most of our people. I would do rallies around the state in defense of this. And I would like take groups of people and try to explain this to them intellectually. And some people cared, wanted to know if this was actually moral or legal. You know, most people thought and this was 10 years ago. All right. 10 years ago, Josh, most people are like, I, I don't give a rip. I just hate these people. And I'm tired of them forcing me, forcing their belief system on me and exceeding their power. I just, I want to throw a Molotov cocktail. I don't care. And the courts certainly have not gotten more restrained since 2010, Josh. And so when we look at the politics of this now, I don't believe he would face any penalty for this. I mean, all the same people that hate him would just continue to hate him the same way they already hate him. All the same people that love him, I think, would continue to love him the same way they love him. And then I think there's an awful lot of people, and these were the people we picked up in the retention election that allowed us to to pull off the, the win that no one thought we could get. We got a lot of people that actually didn't even have a freaking clue in the world about gay marriage. 
They're just tired of unelected bureaucrats shoving their crap down their throats and making them pay for it and change what they believe and wanted to make a protest vote. I don't see how this is a political loser for the president on any level. What, I mean, what would happen other than the same wailing and gnashing of teeth from his enemies he gets every other day anyway? Yeah, so the left and the media would react exactly the same. I mean, you know, they treat every, you know, fart from the president as if it's like the sign of the, of the Nazi era, right? So, I mean, like, the left would react the same way it always reacts. Here is my best guess as to, from a political perspective, what they're fearing. I think they're probably fearing that kind of suburban uh, Romney, Hillary, like married woman swing voter, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm kind of thinking of that uh, Karen Handel, uh, John Ossoff swing district in Georgia, kind of like your classic, like Atlanta, Dallas, Houston suburbs. That's my best guess, because I think a lot of these suburban women, um, these people who probably switched from Romney to go for Hillary in 2016, in the back of their heads, they're somewhat, they're not receptive, but they still hear this voice in the back of their heads. They hear Rachel Maddow talking about tyranny, fascism, fascism, fascism. And while I feel as strongly as anyone in the country does that Trump can and should indeed defy a lawless nationwide injunction, I, I wouldn't even deny that the optics of what that looks like to someone who might not know the legal theory, but is just somewhat you know, receptive to what New York Times or MSNBC is saying, might interpret that as fascism, tyranny, or whatever. Uh, again, I don't agree with that because, because I think the law is is the law. But that is my best guess as to what's going on here from a political perspective. I agree with you. I mean, the people who you're talking about when you were going across the state of Iowa, the people who Senator Hawley from Missouri is, is speaking for, kind of that forgotten heartland Rust Belt voter, um, they would be probably even more uh, more in favor of Donald Trump after he defied the court order than they were before him. I think I think this move would be speaking to them actually in many ways. So my best guess is from a, from a political perspective is that they're afraid of that kind of suburban swing voter. It's kind of the actual, it's, it's the exact reverse, actually, of the Obama-Trump populist voter. It's mm-hmm. the, um, the Romney-Obama middle-class suburb woman voter, basically. Final question for you, Josh. Given what you just said then, could we, st- what do you think are the odds we could see a, a, a George W. Bush, Fallujah, Anbar province situation? Meaning that there was so much fear uh, in the Bush reelect of sending in uh, the troops to clean up uh, the Islamist uh, rat hole that the Anbar province descended into after Saddam was toppled, that the body count would would be such a huge um, issue with with Arab street uprisings. We used to hear that term all the time in that era, right? The Arab street was going to uprise and and it would be terrible media. It would hurt the president's reelect. And then about uh, uh, 14 seconds after Bush got reelected, uh, the Marines went into the Anbar province and started killing Islamists when he didn't have to worry about getting reelected again. Do you think you could we could see something similar here where where once if, if he were to get reelected and, and now the Mueller thing is fully behind you, Bill Barr has done his job. And, and I think a lot of people appreciate the maturity he's brought to the AG's office. But you have to remember, you're still dealing with an old school, swampy, bushy kind of a guy. The idea of defining the norms of Washington is still kind of, you know, a, a foreign dialect to him. Do you think this might be a road you could see the president going down when he no longer necessarily has to care about the, the, the woman in, on my street with her coexist bumper sticker and her Subaru? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I think you're onto something here, Steve. I mean, it's not—it's actually not just defying a nationwide injunction. 
Trump has a lot of unilateral authority to do a lot more on immigration than he's really doing. I mean, he, you know, uh, 1182F, shut off. He could declare that tomorrow and essentially shut down frivolous asylum claims at the border unilaterally. Mm -hmm. But he's probably he's probably similarly afraid to take that kind of action for what I imagine are similar reasons that I just discussed about the fear of tyranny or fascism or whatever have you among these suburban voters. So I, I, I actually think that you really are onto something here. But the reason I'm disappointed that Trump hasn't done this already, and he's had two and a half years, you know, let's not give him a free pass here, obviously, mm -hmm. is that is that for a while, it seemed like he was kind of like the only guy who could do this. It was almost it was almost like a Nixon goes to China kind of moment. I mean, you know, during the campaign, like Trump had the so-called judges comment, right? Um, or I'm sorry, that was actually in February 2017, right after he was inaugurated, was a so-called judge's comment. But he's always had this kind of like populist, anti-judiciary, anti-judicial power kind of sentiment. And I really predicted that it would have happened already just because of the sheer numbers. I mean, again, six to seven times more nationwide injunctions against President Trump than Barack Obama faced. And he had faced more than any of his predecessors previously. So he's facing a once in a republic crisis of a lawless road judiciary. And he didn't pick this fight. But the judiciary picked this fight with him, and he and he can capitulate or he can fight back. And I hope he fights back sooner rather than later. If he has to wait until he's hopefully reelected to do it in a second term, it's possible. I at this point, I, I I'm cynical enough where I wouldn't certainly bet anything on it. But um, I certainly hope he writes Steve. That's for sure. Well, I don't know that I'm right because my view is similar to yours. He's allowed these judges to uh, put a restraining bolt uh, on his presidency. And in the end, if voters decide he doesn't have, a, if they decide next year, his record of accomplishment doesn't overcome the issues they have with his persona, he's going to have large, not the media to blame, because they're not watching a lot of the media that he's obsessed with anyway. He's going to have the capitulation of the courts and his own self to blame that he allowed these judges to essentially uh, handcuff him uh, in, his, in, in his own presidency, uh, rather than doing what was necessary to use the power voters gave him to secure the border and things of that nature. I'm just trying to see if there's a possibility uh before we descend into cynicism that that something eventually could come down the pike josh it's good to have you with us here on blaze tv thanks for joining us always a pleasure steve take care gentlemen you have any comments on the conversation we just had 30 seconds todd go well it's just all the more inexcusable when he lays out the data about how this present time regardless of it's trump or anybody else is it's a war by the judiciary yeah, against never, the executive i would not heard that data before yeah and you already know i've got a pretty dim view yeah. of the judiciary already right so they're dialing this thing up to 19. Exactly. Yeah. We'll come back with hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. And we're back with hour two here on Blaze Radio TV and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron here with me as well. If you are with us today via a podcast, first of all, thank you. Secondly, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, we would appreciate you because the more of those we get, the more the algorithms that rule us all now like us, and then the more likely they are to assist us in finding more people like you so that we could continue to do these jobs as opposed to getting real ones. Thousands of you have left us one of those five-star reviews already. Thank you very much. If you don't like the show, don't lie. But if you do, even if you kind of like it, you know, just totally embellish and give us five stars, even if you just think we're so-so. Thank you. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. D-E-A-C-E. -E, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. 
Um, if you are one of the millions of Americans dealing every day with what is called chronic pain, this is pain in the body that stems from inflammation. Did you know that your creator actually made your body to push back against inflammation? You ever wondered, man, how did these in past eras, how did, you know, these farmers just when they had, you know, they didn't have combines and tractors and, you know, they were lucky if, 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 if they had an ox, how'd they plow their row in those days? How did people just spend all day long standing up on an assembly line? Uh, before we got all OSHA and ergonomical around here. How, how'd they do that? How'd they manage it? Well, uh, the body is actually made to push back against inflammation. This is kind of a lost art for, uh, for too many of us these days. That's where relief factor comes into play. Uh, physician created, but 100% drug-free. Four key natural ingredients that are put together uh, and devised in order to unleash the body's ability to win the battle against inflammation in your body that's causing that chronic pain. I am a daily user of this, and I could not endorse it more enthusiastically. It, it's made a huge impact uh, on my daily life. If you want to give it a shot, uh, it's the starter pack for a dollar a day, 20 bucks to try it for three weeks. A buck a day. What do you have to lose for a buck a day? Except maybe, finally, hopefully, the pain. Give it a shot at relieffactor.com. Again, that is relieffactor.com. And we go now to fake news or not. We do this once a week here on the show. For those of you that are new, we, we, we changed the way we do fake news or not this year. When it became apparent, that is not that the truth is unattainable. It's just not interesting to much of our media. And they're not even putting forth a charade of, 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 of providing other viewpoints anymore. We decided that there was no point if, if, they were, if they were going to collectively behave as Al Jazeera or state-run media, there was really no point in fact-checking them. So we stopped. Uh, if we're going to be in a cold civil war between the left America versus what's left of America, then, then we really needed to concentrate our, our efforts on the media that represents what's left of America or people who represent what's left of America when they go into the media. So with limited exceptions, that is, is pretty much the focal point of how we do fake news or not. Are the people and the, and the platforms that claim to be representing you are they telling you the truth? So we put up a bunch of clips each week. I select them. Todd and Aaron, then you sit in the jury box. You decide if each of these clips is fake news or not. And we're going to start with clip one. As Rand Paul, this is his first attempt to invoke Trumpism. Now remember, Trumpism isn't an ideology. It's a persona. And, and we have seen every other time someone has tried to, on the right to invoke this personality, persona it hasn't worked for them it, it seems to only work for trump right so we're going to look at a couple of clips of Rand paul attempting to invoke trumpism and import it into his own political brand did one both or neither of them work here's the first one look i know john stewart and john stewart is sometimes funny sometimes informed but in this case he's neither funny nor informed i've spent my entire senate career putting forward pay-fors for any time spending has expanded. As, as, as soon ago as two weeks ago, I put forward a pay-for for the border funding. I put forward a pay-for for the disaster funding. I do this on every new bit of funding. So he's really not informed, and his name-calling just sort of exposes him as a, a 
left winger, part of the left wing mob that really isn't using his brain and is willing to call people names. And it's it's really kind of disgusting because, see, he pretended for years when he was on his comedy show to be somebody who could see both sides and see through the BS on both sides. Well, now he is the BS. The BS meters through the roof when you see him calling people names, calling people an abomination. When I'm asking something very reasonable, that an amendment be included to consider whether we should pay for this for taking money somewhere else in the budget doesn't actually reduce the deficit just keeps the deficit from getting bigger what you would do if you're responsible is you'd allocate it for three four or five years and come back and reassess it that's a responsible way to budget but to have an open-ended thing that goes to 2092 really we're going to have a spending bill that says you spend whatever you want until 2092 it doesn't matter how good the cause is it's irresponsible and really people need to wake up and not be so sort of overwhelmed by celebrity that they take out and out falsehoods and ad hominem attacks from really a gutter snipe like John Stewart. What do you think? Lots of name calling in there. Now he's still Rand Paul. So you got like actual policy citations and wonky. All right. Cause you know, we're still, it's still Rand Paul here, you know, but tried to mix in, you know, a little, threw in a little paprika, a little Worcestershire, uh, you know, some spicy mustard, you know, so he, he tried to invoke a little uh, 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 Trumpism there uh, into Rand Paul's typical wonkiness, dropping a gutter snipe there at the end, and uh, you know the BS meters through the roof, you know those sorts of things. What do you think? Does it did it work for him in round one of attempting to invoke Trumpism, Todd? Absolutely true. True news, and here's why: because when you show that clip of John, and you know it's about first responders, there is that part of me that has a has an internal yeah, but. But, you know, it, 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 these people, if anybody deserves the money, these people deserve the But then you realize it's all the more important that he's doing about this because that's how they, John Stewart and or whoever else they is, that's how they frame anything. It's for, it's education. It's for the children. Whatever issue they always see, it, that issue is more important than worrying about the financial sense of this in the long term. And then when he frames it with specifics, oh, it's what, 20, 29 or whatever. Yeah, that, that is Rand Paul at his best. What do you think, Aaron? Did it work for you or not? No. You're, you're on the fake news side? No. I am I am um, completely certain that that's got a lot more substance behind it than just about any sort of line of attack that uh, Donald Trump that Donald Trump uh, puts out. But, um, yeah, no, that, that, that's not doing it for me. <laughs> I, I really, it's like, it's like the killing curses or the unforgivable cur- curses in Harry Potter, <clears throat> my idol. Um, where you really have to mean it. You know, you really have to mean Avada Kedavra. You really have to mean Crucio. I just, you know, Rand Paul, he's, he's just been up there too long. I just don't, I, I don't, I don't get that, that the, love and the, the feeling. The Savoir Faire was not there I don't for get you. that love and feeling or hate, hateful feeling behind it. Okay. Well, you're never going to get that. I mean, that's the guy when he got caught up in Northern Iowa at Lake Okaboji having breakfast with Steve King. And took one off of the, running. One of the dreamers came over. Yeah, he's like, he yeah, took, he took, his, off he took for, his breakfast burrito and he got yeah, out of there. That but actually that, happened, yeah. Yes, but that's still right there. That's I've forgotten about that. Yeah, that was good. I'll, I'll say this. This is not for fake news or not, but I think it's a terrible hill to die on. I, I, I think it... Uh, I disagree, or I agree substantively with pretty much everything. With well, with with the premise of what he is mm-hmm. asserting, but it's a terrible, it's an unwinnable political argument. 
I mean, you're up there. You're, That's different than whether it's true news or not. We're public. I, I agree. That's why I said it was separate. That's why I didn't say this before yeah. I asked you about his performance. Okay. So I, I just think it, it's, 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 this is the, ver- it's like Republicans last year when they couldn't repeat, when they didn't have the votes to promise to repeal Obamacare or two years ago. Decide their initial thing was they were going to repeal the corporate. Remember this? They're going to repeal the corporate mandate and leave the individual one. Because if you take the individual mandate mm-hmm. away, Obamacare collapses, right? And I was, and I had this conversation at the time on the show. So you're going to go to voters, the Republican Party, whose who's number one disqualifier for voters is they're the party of corporate America that doesn't care about the little guy. And your master plan is, we're going to make, we're going to stick all of you as individuals with Obamacare, but we're going to let our corporate donor buddies get exempted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's the problem with you. You heard my caveat. Yes. I Right. At, I agree. When but they, that's how they get every Republican. I, that's why the I agree with the, the premise of him. But this is the place where you put your, your line in the sand is is that's what Republicans say about yes. everything. Yeah. No. You're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to make first responders the place where we're going to we're going to have a debate over budget sanity. I, I don't. I don't see how that's a winnable debate. I know, but th- 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 yeah. what, we're going to draw a line on the sand of dead bags of frozen baby body parts. We're yeah. not going to. That's it's this where is, do you you have to just forget about that. This is not morally equivalent, but it is tactically, um, if that's a word, equivalent uh, equivalent in that if you don't do what we want, then you are a racist, misogynist, homophobic mm-hmm. bigot. Sure. Now, it's not morally equivalent, equivalent so we could be debating um, a funding to Planned Parenthood. If you don't do this, you're a misogynist. If you don't do, you know, it's not morally equivalent, but the tactics that they use, I think that's Todd's point, the tactics that they use are exactly sure. the same. And that's, and, and everything you said about that was right. But that that's separate from, is that, is, you know, from the whole fake news or not thing. So you, you were feeling the rhythm. You thought it had a good beat. You could dance to it, right? Yeah. And Aaron, but th- uh, no, you got to have a you better lost that put down. Feeling. Yeah. You didn't have it. This is yeah. your point yeah. about never give in to the cultists because they won't give anything back. I mean, if you say fine, I'll give this. What does Rand Paul get in return? Nothing ever. I just, you know, I I know some of the people on his staff. One of them, in particular, who's like been his chief of staff for a long time. And if I was on that staff, I just would have been like, dude there's like 14 other times we could make this exact same point without opening ourselves up to a level of political liability that this one opens us up to. And I don't, I I politically don't understand why this is the point now where we're going to, we're going to draw the line. But that's a separate comp, separate article, separate episode. Let's go to Rand Paul's second attempt to invoke Trumpism. Here it is. I'm in a town where we have a lot of people who are refugees who have come, some from Somalia, some from Bosnia. I've never heard one of them say that America's a terrible place or be unappreciative of our country. Most of them are thankful. I've met people who have come here from behind the Iron Curtain that got away from communism. They're some of the best Americans we have because they really appreciate how great our country is. And then I hear Representative Omar say, oh, America's a terrible place. I'd love to be justice and there's no justice here. It's like... Well, she came here and we fed her, we clothed her, she got welfare, she got school, she got health care, and then 
lo and behold, she has the honor of actually winning a seat in Congress, and she says we're a terrible country. I think that's about as ungrateful as you can get. And so while I'm not saying we forcibly send her anywhere, I'm willing to contribute to buy her a ticket to go visit Somalia. And I think she could look and, and maybe learn a little bit about the disaster that is Somalia that has no capitalism, has no God-given rights guaranteed in a constitution, and has about seven different tribes that have been fighting each other for the last 40 years. And then maybe after she's visited Somalia for a while, she might come back and appreciate America more. All right, so that is um, – it's, it's not quite as pithy as – uh, on his first solo album, America's Most Wanted, when Ice Cube had had it up to here with all the uh, Africa pendants and the green and yellow head garb that he was seeing in the early 90s. And he said, uh, for all those uh, blankety blanks that think they're so black, uh, send them back overseas and they'll be begging to come back. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite that. All right. And that's probably the most um, verbose, reasoned, um, Breitbartian kind of clip that Bright, I, I, I would imagine like 20 seconds into that clip, whoever the cameraman at Breitbart was like, This is yes. way too long for our audience, man. He's got to, <laughs> I mean, get to the punchline here, Rand. And Rand is like still like having like a worldview conversation. And the Breitbart guy's like, Dude, this is Breitbart and this thing has to be 23 seconds. <laughs> right? All right. But that was his second attempt at, at uh, invoking a little Trumpism. Hey, if you don't like it here, you know, you can always just go back. Did you like, is that one fake news or not? Did you like that one? I like that one a little bit more than the first one. I think actually that Rand Paul is probably more of an effective messenger on this issue than Donald Trump is for all the reasons that he got into. Unfortunately, as you said, it was, you know, something he probably could have just gotten away with saying like the last half of it and made his point just as well as the the, the whole thing. But, you know, Donald Trump, um, right or wrong, earned or unearned, there's always a visceral reaction. Rand Paul, I mean, he's still going to be called a racist for that. And I think that was the origin of that tweet from Tom Arnold that I played in the, or that I showed in the montage where mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm down to clown. I understand why this guy got beat up by his neighbor. Um, but this is, this is, I think, a much more effective message than what uh, I think Trump has been doing with Elon Omar. Because, I mean, Trump has just been saying, uh, if you don't like it, you can go back. Well, Rand Paul puts a little bit more meat on the bone. So I like it a little bit more than the first one. What do you think, Todd? It's fantastic, and I have no caveats to that. I mean, I, I, I'm hoping most Americans ultimately think along those lines because it means, you know, that they still get the country they live in and what uh, America's founding and where it may uh, hopefully be going from here. Uh, that, that we, I said, when I said common sense was increasingly running extinct, that's that's common sense. It's not actually controversial uh, at all, and um, other than the fact that most people are too cowardly to bring it up, even if they believe it. I thought it was. I don't normally render my opinion here, but uh, I let you guys do that. I thought that that's about the best that that would rank up there as the best moment that Rand Paul has had since um, he turned when, when he announced his presidential run and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yeah. Uh, the head of the Democratic oh. Party came after him for being pro-life without exception. And and some sniveling reporter, I think it was at HuffPo or one of those sites, came up to him at his announcement and asked him about it. And he said, you know what, I'll answer your question when you go back to Debbie Wasserman Schultz and ask her, do you think uh, we should kill fully developed yeah. uh, babies in the womb? And don't argue science with me, idiot. I'm a doctor, basically. You know, I, I, And now that was like, you know, three and a half years ago. 
But I thought that clip was great, is what I thought. All right. Is she right? Does she have a point? Next clip. The thing that I said is that as someone who is, I think, the one of only like three Republicans or conservatives on this entire network, I always am concerned about the next generation coming up. Mm -hmm. And young people that are interested in conservative ideals only see this. They only see race baiting. They only see the Trump administration. And what Republicans should be most concerned about right now, well, from my perspective, is what comes next. Because we will be out of power. All politics is cyclical. And at a certain point, you're going to have a bunch of millennials who think their entire Republican Party is someone who is, you know, the person in charge thinks that all communities of color are infested. And um, the CNN anchor who got emotional talking about his hometown, I think... Victor Blackwell. Yes, I think when you see people like that showing outward emotion anchors on air, I think you know that it's... Well, what's real... All right, that's Megan McCain, daughter of uh, John McCain, who is, uh, and, and I wouldn't say token. I've seen enough clips of her on social media. She is, she is more than willing to hold her own on that panel uh, and, and, and ask questions of lefty guests outside of their echo chamber, okay? Um, so, Aaron, I'm going to pander, though, since she specifically invoked your generation to start with you. Is that fake news or not from Megan McCain? Well, let me just repeats and restate what she says she is concerned that the next generation of conservative um, kids the millennials all they see from the republican party is race baiting let me make sure i enunciate this correctly (laughs) hands up don't shoot yikes do i hear you saying like, if, why if, is this not if, true of the other side? Yeah, if millennials well. are offended by race baiting, then why would they ever vote Democrats? Because that's yeah. essentially their, their campaign rhetoric and yeah. messaging in almost every cycle. Yes. Interesting. Todd, your thoughts? Well, there's a, yeah, there's a both going on there. I, I was going to point that out in terms of the lack of intellectual honesty on applying uh, things even handed. And, and we kind of, when you point out polls, you pointed this out, Steve, before that, that both parties, are kind of have shed uh, to a similar degree so that just people in general, not just pundits, have the same uh, concerns about uh, the relevance and the intellectual uh, honesty uh, of their parties. But uh, to the degree that she's right, talked about this show as well, What, how forward-thinking is the Republican Party on being able to grow? why it wants to grow, who it wants to grow with, what it can do to grow. Th- those are all questions it should be asking. And going back to the beginning of the show, do you think uh, they're being asked when the game is being played between um, Moscow Mitch and uh, what's-his-face over at um, Mr. Mika over at uh, MSNBC? Yeah, I mean, yeah. those guys aren't. Call, Trump's a Nazi every day yeah. and then wants us to forget that he spent two years yeah. trying to get him the presidency be- be- before he got I mean, elected. honestly, yeah. Mitch McConnell does not care about the future of the of the Republican Party. I, I think, yeah, I think this is even the context of the, I mean, calling out Baltimore 342% higher crime rate than the national average, is, is that race baiting? Is telling Elon Omar, hey, if you, uh, maybe you should go back uh, and look at your own country. If you think this one sucks so much, that's race bait. Now, I, again, I, I, I would say that the thing you need to be concerned about with the next generation, I don't, I don't think it's a debatable point that Republicans 
are facing a demographic uh, demographic winter here. Sure, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, because the numbers the numbers say so. Yeah. I, I think the more the, the biggest thing you need to actually be concerned about, as far as what the next generation is is uh, seeing from Republicans, is people who run as conservatives and govern as um, uh, sod. You know, just basically the hypocrisy pro- of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the hypocrisy, yeah. the total hypocrisy of it, and govern as progressives. That's the thing you need to be worried about the most. If you had a party that actually uh, ran on and governed on conservatism, like real conservatism, that would be a different story because at least at least you're giving something the next generation something that's genuine. I I agree with her. And now, now this is separate from whether the fake news or not thing. I agree with her concern. I but I I don't agree with her reason for her right. own concern. Yeah, it's a pithy way to say it. If if. If the next generation is offended by the notion, collectively, with limited exceptions, is offended by the notion that people are upset that a woman, as Rand Paul articulated in the previous clip, that has been given full access to the grace and largesse of Americana, who then reaches its pinnacle halls of power. And, and after taking advantage all of, that, of all of that grace and largesse, reaches the halls of power and then uses that as a platform to defecate on the, on the faces of the people who provided her that grace and largesse. If that's race baiting to your generation, then there's really no point trying to reach out to them anyway. Mm-hmm. Get thee to a nunnery. It's already gone. I mean, if, if, if what I would have said if I were on that panel with, with Megan is I'm is Megan two things one I'm probably to the right of you but two I also probably have all the same concerns and issues with Donald Trump that you do on most days but if what you're saying if 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 criticizing Ilan Omar for literally advocating forms of insurrection and treason against the United States as a member of Congress if if that's race baiting then it's revival or bust, and there's really no hope or point to even having a Republican Party. It, 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 if, that, if, the, if the dialogue has shifted so far that direction, if, if to point out Baltimore has a 342% crime rate is racist, and that Elijah Cummings has been the congressman during most of the years— that that crime rate was in, was was inflated. That the last three Democratic mayors of Baltimore have all had to resign under corruption. If that's racist to, to to say, if basic facts to your generation, Megan, are are racist, then I there's no hope for a political alternative anyway. Then the the conversation is because so devolved. That generation is so far gone that it's literally like street evangelism level revival or bust. You get, they, they can't articulate, they can't understand that you would have, you're, you're basically saying that there is never a place where a white person can be critical of a, of a black person or a non-white person. That, that's essentially what you're saying. If basic facts are race baiting, then I, I don't, then there, there isn't an argument. There isn't a debate. Wow. There's not a rival political party. The argument is over. You lost. And so you either go, you either do revival and hit the control alt delete button and try to win back a generation on a spiritual level, or we're all just wasting our time here. That's what I would have said in response. And you'd be right. Let's go to another one uh, from one of uh, one of uh, everybody's favorites, Chris Wallace. Is he drawing the right moral equivalency here on Fox News? Watch this. 
Then he talks about uh, Elijah Cummings, and he says his district is rat and rodent infested. Infested. It sounds like vermin. It sounds subhuman. That there, and these are all six members, uh, uh, members of Congress who are people of color. I think you're spending way too much time reading between the lines. Does anybody, I'm not reading between the lines. Anybody, I'm reading the lines. Does anyone watching this program dispute the fact that, or the possibility that if Adam Schiff had said the same thing uh, about the border, that the president would be attacking Adam Schiff in the exact same way today? And I don't think not, he'd be talking about his crime-infested, rodent-infested district. He very well could. It has zero to do with the fact that Adam is Jewish, and everything to do with it, Adam is, would just be wrong if he were saying that. This is what the president does. He fights, and he's not wrong to do so. And you don't, much completely comfortable with him saying that this is a rodent-infested district and no human being would want to live there. You're comfortable with that person. Have you, have you seen- Fake news or not, Todd? From Chris Wallace or Mulvaney? You decide. Uh, Chris Wallace is you know, t- totally fake news, and I loved how Mulvaney handled it. And he, he knows the president he works for. Like He'd be hammering uh shift for anybody else the exact same way this has nothing to do specifically with baltimore the race of the people there this is how donald uh trump operates when he was uh smells out a scam i mean i i think mulvaney i give him great credit for knowing who he works for and how to play the game that was just honest about how he works and chris wallace again he that that the research you could have done to know that there was a 2018 PBS documentary about how rat infested it actually is. It, you don't have to go in the way back machine here. It just tells me all the more that you cared about a narrative on this. And this is similar to with Megan McCain. Your concern with the similar narrative isn't causing you to miss a small kind of uh, very hard to peg out, flesh out a uh, breadcrumb trail of details. You are missing glaring facts that could have a could could spark a real debate that could help a place like Baltimore. But instead, you get involved in just this spitball nonsense, and it goes nowhere. According to Dictionary.com's definition of vermin: noxious, objectionable, or disgusting animals collectively, especially those of small size. That appear commonly and are difficult to control, such as flies, lice, bedbugs, yeah. cockroaches, mice, and rats. It's just dumb. What, 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 what is Chris so, Wallace talking about? Do you know? Yeah. It's like so, you're talking about vermin. He's literally talking about vermin. Yes. Yes. That's another word for rats. Aaron, your thoughts? Yeah. The, the last two clips are just so dumb, and it's why we can't and probably won't uh, be able to have nice things. Last clip pointing out that Baltimore is uh, basically a a third-world country. Uh, That's race-baiting. This clip, calling out the vermin that live in that third-world country, the rats, the infestations, that's also racist. It's all because of who it's coming from. That's right. That's why I said that Rand Paul... That's why I said that Rand Paul, at least for a little bit, is a little is a little more effective messenger on what he said in the second clip that we played from Rand Paul, because it's just and again he's going to be called a racist too if he was in the Oval Office he'd be just as much of a racist as Donald Trump is but it's all just because of who Trump is I I don't I didn't hear and I don't want to be unfair here I don't want to be completely unfair here I want to give the View Megan McCain and Chris Wallace as much of the benefit of the doubt as possible 
Why didn't they have Simone Sanders from the Bernie Sanders campaign on to talk about Bernie Sanders' statements in 2016 about calling Baltimore a third world country? Why wasn't Chris Wallace grilling Simone Sanders about that? I think she still works for, for Bernie Sanders. Why wasn't, why wasn't Chris Wallace grilling them? She works for Biden would, now, by the she way. She works for Biden nah. now. Why didn't they have a, a Bernie Sanders spokesman on grilling, grilling them about uh, Bernie Sanders' statements back in the day? It's all about who this is coming from. Yep. It's all about Orange Man Bad. It's why we can't have nice things and probably won't for a very long time. Speaking of Orange Man Bad, one more clip. Watch this. How much of that did you watch, sir? Say it, John. How, how much of the Mueller testimony did you actually watch? So I wasn't going to watch it all. And then I started thinking about it, and then I watched a little bit at the very beginning, and I couldn't believe what I was saying, and I ended up watching more than I wanted to. We're not fake news. Remember we told you last week we didn't buy that at all, and you said he wasn't going to watch? Yeah. We'll come back. Pop Culture Tuesday is here next on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Stay tuned. So nobody has a stoplight at their kitchen table telling them when it's time to stop eating to help them with their own portion control. But everyone was given a signal uh, that's supposed to go from your gut to your brain uh, in order to, to send that message. It's called OEA. And for too many of us, for various reasons, it just isn't as effective as it needs to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. Uh, it's not loaded with chemicals. It's not loaded with stimulants or caffeine. It's really just OEA. It's about putting that OEA back to optimal levels in the body so that the gut will then say to the brain, hey, we're full here. We can stop eating to help you regulate your cravings, your portion sizes, those sorts of things, which could be the missing link in you getting it to your healthier lifestyle goals. If you want to try Riduzone out, uh, use my name, Steve, as a promo code. When you go to the website, they'll give you a special offer. And that website is Riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com. All right, let's get next to Pop Culture Tuesday when we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. So, one of my man crushes, Northwestern coach, Pat Fitzgerald, man. He's just a, he's just a dude. I like him a lot. And he was uh, pontificating at Big Ten Football Media Days last week in Chicago. And he was asked a question about why attendance is down in college football, even as television ratings are soaring. And he went, decided to use this as a platform to have a broader cultural conversation. Watch this clip. These things. I think phones, I think technology has been the decline in attendance, number one. I think, you know, watching young people today live like this instead of like that. You know, Stacey and I were out on a date last night and there was two couples, two groups of couples sitting next to us and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm old. Like, not one of the... four couples were talking to each other they were all on their phones and it just drove me up to I literally wanted to be like a dad and go like give me your phone talk to each other <laughs> I mean this is pathetic so it was really really pathetic and I think that's just it's just changed the way a lot of younger people and younger fans intake is all through technology and I mean you watch a concert and everybody's holding their phone up like listen 
watch, take it in, create a memory. Because they don't go back and watch the videos. They just want to post it on their social media, which is pathetic because it creates a society of, look at me, isn't my life great? Even though when they go home, they're like, I hate myself, I hate my life, everything's wrong. So I think it's a big cause. I think it's, I think it's the root cause, number one. Um, you know, I think the fans that grew up going and tailgating and the fans that grew up going to the stadiums four hours before the games are getting a little older. And I think the next and, and younger generation of fans are more reliant on technology. They'd rather have 12 TVs set up in their, in their TV watching cave than go to a game and experience the pageantry and the tailgating. So I think it's definitely things that we, we need to look at as, as, as a brand, college football, on how we can maybe create that type of environment and experience while respecting our communities and our neighborhoods to make sure the experiences that are happening don't impede on those neighborhoods. So the conversation he's having there, I think, has a far broader context than than just, yes. you know, college football attendance, obviously. And, he, and, and you can tell Pat believes this as well. You know, one of the things I've had to really regulate in my home with uh, with summer uh, break from school uh, is how much Noah is playing uh, Fortnite, Overwatch, and that stuff with his friends online. Because if I let him, he would just get up in the morning, clean up his room, have breakfast, take a bath, brush his teeth, and just sit there the rest of the day, on a, unless he had chores or something to do. He would just, him and his friends would just, that's all they would do the whole day until bedtime, you know, break for dinner. And yesterday I saw that um, over the weekend, Fortnite had an eSport tournament that gave away over $30 million in prizes. The, the kid who got fifth place in the contest is the same age as my son. He got fifth place, 12-year-old kid, got fifth place, and he, he got over $900,000. I don't believe I have earned that. In fact, I'm confident that I have not made $900,000 total in my career working in the media since like I started in 1999. I don't believe I've made $900,000. It, it would be it would be close, but I don't I don't think that I have. I started doing the math in my head and then I didn't ask my wife cuz I don't ever remember what I make. She just tells me, you know. So, but no, I don't I don't think I've made that in all the years I've worked in the media. I haven't quite gotten it to $900,000. This young man made that playing Fortnite. Do do we need, how much of this is a get off your lawn mentality? Because let me put this in another context. 500 years ago, the printing press is invented. And couldn't a guy about Pat's age sit around on a stool somewhere in a field and said, you know, we can't ever get these kids out of these books. All they do is they're looking down all the time, reading these books, escaping to other worlds. Can't get them to plow the row, rake the leaves, plant the fields. All they do is sit around here just reading these books all the time. And that's all they ever talk to each other about is the stuff they read in these books. Is there something, is there, is there a potential metaphor there? And... Should we also, though, not note that some of the technology that Pat is condemning for its 
um, its level of influence in the culture is what makes it possible for us to even be sitting here having this conversation. And for you to have a very fat wallet. Yes, uh, Mr. Fitzgerald. Yeah, because he does. I don't. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So, and by the way, the number one reason attendance is going down is it's too damn expensive to go to all these games. Yeah. That's, that's, the, yeah. that's the number one reason. Okay, it, it's way too expensive to go. And, and, and the difference in the experience going there compared to watching it in... A, I, I, can go get, I can go to Walmart right now and buy a major name brand HD or 4K TV like, like LG, a major name brand. Vizio is a major name brand now. I could, I could go get a 60-inch L, L, HD 4K television for five 600 bucks. Okay. Same same price as taking your family of four or five. That's yet game. to the game once. 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 Yeah. yeah. So that's a factor that should be mentioned. But I but I I do see, you know, uh, with I've got teenagers at home. I do see that the level of communication that they engage in. I mean, my kid, my my oldest daughter will text me from upstairs rather than ask me a question. So I'm I am sympathetic to a certain extent to what he's talking about. But I also think that some of this is blown out of proportion generationally. But agree or disagree? Todd, I'll start with you. Yeah, I don't think anything anything he said is blown out of proportion. He 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 totally gets it. I, 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 and he never once condemns like let's get rid of technology, let's get rid of cell phones. Um I don't think uh he would argue with you at all. Uh, that uh, with the cost aspect uh, of things, and he benefits clearly mm-hmm. from that cost aspect. Actually, you know where things. most of his salary comes is really not from attendance. You know where it really comes from? Oh, boosters. The and, media rights. Yeah. The media rights. The fact that every Big Ten team got $50 million from the Big Ten network yeah. as a mobile platform and a cable network and things of that nature. But that's where these coaches' salaries have skyrocketed. It's not been with larger stadiums. It's been with the media, techno- the technology. That's what's but, caused them to skyrocket. But he gets to the root of the matter, and, and you bring it up in terms of Fortnite. There's another story coming out of uh, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the second largest city uh, here in Iowa. Uh, it has four public high schools, I believe, and one Catholic high school. And these are large size. Uh, high schools and it just it, it is uncertain this year this fall if it's going to be able to have a sophomore football team which at least around here that's the second after varsity there's pretty much sophomore there's kind of a nebulous jv but J, uh there, because people at a very large high school aren't coming out for football anymore the, the, this level of trickle down it and this is part of my gated community effect this is part of what i talk about why technology instant replay is bad we are dehumanizing the things we love and within this generation the we we pretty we reap all the benefits and we don't think uh that uh, there's really much downside but there clearly is a downside uh with the, the next uh generation steve all the time you and i spent outside playing sports pickup games of all kinds compared to what Aaron's generation and now the one behind him the, the fact that it, it, it's I, I, there's not probably another single thing in my life that probably isn't more in my DNA in terms of how I see the world 
And now that generation doesn't have that, and they are locked into these phones and constant, and, and it's what they're seeing mm-hmm. on those phones. What they're, it's one thing when you talk about it just within the confines of sports, but then you, when you talk to that dinner and how people engage with each other, how they don't know. The, look at all the fake tough guys that know how to talk and argue and debate mm-hmm. behind you know their anonymous avatars, but in person, they're so crippled. Uh, I, I just think he re- fundamentally. I don't think you can argue with a single pres- premise that he brings up. What do you think, Aaron? I think there is something a little bit different uh, from the example that you gave about the books five hundred years ago and the phones and the, the technology of today. Because along the lines of what Todd was saying, and let's let's say I'm, I want to put all of this in the context of one very very important thing about this entire conversation. It's a point that we've made several times before. Technology is amoral. All right? Or it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is neither immoral or moral. Mm-hmm. It's just how you use it. So that's in the context of what I'm about to say. Along the lines of what Todd was saying, the books, even though the kids maybe had their nose in the book, uh, a la Belle from Beauty and the Beast, um, you know, and gas, whatever, you know, all on, you've got that kind of picture in your head. Um, that didn't, that didn't stop them from actually communicating and having to communicate with other people. Maybe they were doing it a little bit less. I don't know, but that didn't stop them from having to communicate with other people. Uh, if I didn't do, uh, if I, if I just was a vegetable at home every single day, I, and I just had a, a lump of cash that was sent to me, and I wasn't on a radio show every day, and I didn't have to communicate verbally every day. I literally would not, probably for the rest of my life, sans an apocalypse, I would never have to say anything to another human being for the rest of my life because I can do everything through my phone. I can do that. That is the operative word. I think what is lacking a lot, and I think Todd is getting close to hammering on it. What is lacking is we were made for community. That, that's how human beings were mm-hmm. fundamentally made. Community, interacting with one another. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. You can do that um, in an artificial way through your phones. But at a biological level, there are certain... Uh, there are certain uh, I, I don't know, chemicals, whatever, uh, processes that happen in your brain that are important for human development when you're actually talking to other human beings. You are, you are growing and you are learning. Uh, and those are things, at least for kids, at, at the very least for kids, that I, I fear is just being lost over, um, over this, you know, whether it's video games or whether it's cell phones. And I lived with a couple of... Um, uh, younger boys last summer and, and last year for a period of time renting a basement and um, and I saw the Fortnite phenomenon come along and I actually when I first moved in there Fortnite wasn't out yet or they didn't have a PS4 yet and all three of us and I love those two guys they, they were t- such fun to, uh, to I was basically their big brother for a while and uh, before that before Fortnite before they got a PS4 we'd spend hours playing NCAA football 14 we'd have lots of fun and then Fortnite came along, and that's literally what you described about Noah is exactly what happened to them. It's just like you cannot you cannot peel them away. And I don't think it's I mean, this generation it's Fortnite, last generation, or maybe ten years ago it was Halo. It's the same thing. Um, that's not I don't it's just not healthy. 
Now, on the same side, on the same token, and stop me if I'm going along here because I have several thoughts about this. But on the same token, though, I don't think you can completely shut off your kids and whatever from technology. No. It's it's just like uh, it's just like drinking. I mean, if you just if you're a teetotaler, you're never actually going to you're never actually going to teach your kids what moderation looks like. And so then when the opportunities to come drink alcohol come along, I, it's at least in my opinion, there's probably more of a prevalence or you're going to be more prone to misusing that because you had never had that modeled to you in the first place. So I think it's one of those types of things with technology. But overall, I agree. Um, I agree with Pat Fitzgerald's sentiments hmm. as much as he irritates me <sighs> no, that's on the football field. Yeah, he, he kind of owns you, actually. I get it. Uh, if you watched a recent episode of 60 Minutes, or if you missed it, then you definitely need to know about this. Uh, the former head of the FBI's Cyber Crimes Division was on there warning about what we've been warning you about now for much of the last year on this show, home title fraud. And the reason why is twofold. Number one, it's the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have is their own home. But then number two, with the new technology we were just talking about, uh, your home's uh, mortgage notes and, and titles and deeds are now available online, which makes them more accessible for you, but also now more vulnerable to hackers who hack into these databases. They then forge their name onto your paperwork, and then they uh, liquidate your equity using the home itself as collateral. And often you won't even know until the late payment notices start showing up in the mail, maybe even a foreclosure notice as well. Uh, your home uh, mortgage lender can't protect you your bank can't protect you not even your identity theft protection uh can can protect you from this but for pennies a day home title lock will they'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title if they detect anything whatsoever nefarious uh then they're on it uh to save your home and your most valuable investment at least for most of us who knows, your home's title may have already been tampered with or targeted. Uh, to find out, just go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for the free title scan and report. That's right, free. At HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Gentlemen, any final words? Uh, we've got a few minutes left here in the show. I, I, I am... I, I am... I'm torn on this. I really am because I, the community aspect of it too. I mean, it's vital, you know. I mean, we can connect with each other in many respects. You have family that are, you know, stretched out across the country and things of that nature. You can follow them on Facebook or Instagram. When you know, a lot of times, you know, you might not find out what's going on unless you get that Christmas update letter at the end of the year. So I don't know I don't I don't know that it's that simple. I I, I think in many I, I wonder, Todd, let me pose this question to you. I go back, you know, I, I flunked out of college because I spent an entire semester playing every game of the nineteen ninety two NFL season on Mm-hmm. Super Tecmo, which was the first sports game, with, for football game with the actual players, the actual schedule, and kept all the stats. You know, I go back and look at that game now, and 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 I, I played that, but then I also played a ton of intramural basketball. I just didn't want to go to class. I I go back and look at that game now, and I'm like, and that's really not that good compared to what the kids play with today, right? If we had the kinds of immersive experiences and graphics, 
Remember when the Legend, the F- Legend of Zelda came out? It was the first time you could save a game without having to start at the very end mm-hmm. and what a big deal that was, okay? If we had the fully immersive graphics, if, if we had the things that are, w- would it have been just as easy to put the game down after a couple of hours and go play football or basketball with your friends? I'm not so sure about that. You have something you want to add to that, Aaron? Yeah, I, I think I might be better equipped to, to answer this maybe um, because back in the day, my, my Uncle Steven and Nancy had uh, both an NES and one of the old, old Game Boys. And I remember getting in trouble one time because my Uncle Steve came in when my mom was there as well. And I didn't look up while I was playing the Game Boy and, and I couldn't put it down too. It was just so much fun. I didn't look up when he said something to me. I got in a lot of trouble for that. So I think they were just as immersive to my eyes back then okay. as they as the games are now. Okay. We're going to stick around and do a little overtime for our subscribers previewing tonight's Democrat presidential debate part one. For the rest of you, see you tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.